the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. I'm Richard Mead, editor of Lloyd's List. We're starting to feel a little festive here at Lloyd's List Towers, so we thought we'd offer you one last podcast for the year, taking a look back over an interesting 12 months in the maritime market, and casting an eye forward to what we think is going to be leading the Lloyd's List news agenda in 2020. Joining me around the Lloyd's List microphone here in the London newsroom, I have Michelle VZ-Bockman. Hello. Hello. Richard Clayton. Hello there. James Baker. Hello. And Anastasios Adamopoulos. Good afternoon. Right, now I've promised this lot alcohol, so hopefully we can keep it snappy. Keeping in mind that Christmas and the bar is coming your way, I'm going to ask you two very simple questions. What was your story of 2019, and what predictions do you have for me for 2020 in terms of what's going to be leading your news agenda? Uh, Michelle, you've just finished the tanker outlook for the year. Yes, I have. Give us a blast. What's, uh, what's been keeping you awake this year, and what do you think is going to be keeping you awake next year? Well, the letter S. Sanctions, scrubbers, storage, sulphur, supply, and you can add to that scrapping and ship to ship transfers. Is your keyboard broken? Have you only got one keyboard? <laughs> 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 anyway, so sanctions obviously for me have been the big story this year, and um, I think in 2020 we're really going to be one OFAC designation away from boom or bust because really everything, if you look back to it, has come back down to what is taking supply out of the market or what is going to add supply to the market. So if um, Donald Trump wakes up and decides that he's friends with Iran, you'll get, I think, 48 VLCCs from the NIT National Iranian Tanker Company fleet back into the market. They're currently unable to trade unless they're doing it in a... <laughs> is that high on your list of predictions for next year? Donald Trump becoming no. friends with Iran? Right, okay. No. <laughs> just but, but, you know, you just never know. You just don't know. Um, but, but, I mean, on a serious note, I think it's going to be very interesting to watch um, how the first three months of the 2020, IMO 2020 implementation comes out and in terms of how the, uh, how, how the uh, cost savings on fuels are apportioned to owners or charterers because that really hasn't been made clear yet. Mm. And if you've got scrubbers, you, you're making significant savings. They're the ex- exhaust gas cleaning systems that allow you to use the high sulfur fuel oil. So you're going to you know, make significant savings. And are, is there going to be slow steaming arise for those wanting to control their fuel costs? Um, that's worthwhile looking at. And um, once again, I think there could be in the tanker sector at least um, a lot of decisions about the economic life of older vessels um, will be able to be assessed um, once the marine fuel regulations are in place. So we could see, after a a very small volume of tanker scrap this year, we could see that accelerate. Mm. So lots in play. So interesting and very exciting and volatile, but none of what you're saying there is in any way new. So the same factors that were affecting us this year are pretty much going to be moving into next year is what you're saying. Yeah, I, th- I think so, especially the geopolitics, because that really has had a, a major impact, particularly in the tanker market this year. Mm. Um, and it has also seen a redistribution of oil and, and oil flows. I mean, even even small things like fuel oil had a bit of a high sulfur fuel oil spiked in the third quarter and through a lot of trading um, um, calculations out of whack simply because it removed a lot of fuel oil from the Iranian market. And so there was a, a, a short-term... 
uh, supply deficit, which caused the price of high sulfur fuel to rise. And people that took out positions in the market, um, betting that gas oil would be, you know, long and short gas oil and fuel oil, um, sort of came undone. Excellent. All right. Um, James, you're always filled to the brim with optimism when it comes to uh, forecasts. Um, what's, been, uh, what's been keeping you awake and what do you think is going to happen? Well, if, we, if we're going around the alphabet again, I'll take a, I'll take a T and an S, please, uh, Rachel. Um, <laughs> tariffs and trade war has obviously been the big theme in the, in the past 12 months. You're on fire. And that, although there's been some minor resolution of the trade dispute between China and the US, um, it is only minor and I think we've still got a lot of problems that are going to emerge on the Trans-Pacific in terms of the volumes being down. We've had a terrible year on the West for the West Coast ports. Um, this new resolution is not actually going to fix things, it's going to take a little bit of the pressure off and it prevents new pressure coming on. We haven't got the December 15th tariffs that would have been a real uh, deal breaker for most Trans-Pacific carriers. Mm. Um, but yeah, we. What's happening in the White House remains to be seen. Um, the flip side of the tariffs is that even if something is sorted out with China, um, Trump's still got the rest of the world to point his guns at. And there's been rumblings about Europe um, putting on tariffs across the North Atlantic trade, which could become an issue. Um, further further forward, I mean, obviously, the um, transfer to IMO 2020. Um, so we've got scrubbers. Um, there's a lot of problems at the moment just getting scrubbers fitted to container ships. There's you know, huge backlogs at the moment. People are very much looking at it, given the spread. We've got this, well, Michelle knows better than me, what are we, $255 spread between... Ne nearly $300. Nearly $300 yeah. spread between low and high sulfur fuel at the moment. Now, on a on a round trip to um, Shanghai to um, Rotterdam, you know, we're looking at about $8 million difference. That works out. Mm. Um, so that's that's a big saving to be made. If you've spent eight million on a scrubber, you pay for it in one trip. So the economics are looking pretty good on it for a big bulk ship. Um, the other thing um, is the lines getting their customers to actually pay for all of this, particularly those that are going to be paying a lot more for fuel. Um, they've all put out their BAF mechanisms, their surcharges, their environmental surcharges, whatever they're calling it. They're very varied. They're very confusing. Shippers are having a lot of time issues trying to get their heads around them and understand them. It's going to be very hard for the carriers to, well carriers are going to have to push them through and get those paid, whether they can do that and still keep the base rates high at the same time or where they need them to be is another issue. All it takes is for one carrier to start offering discounts and we could see a bit of a bloodbath in terms of a, a race to the bottom for, for rates and, and getting market share, which is the carrier's um, age-old way of dealing with their overcapacity. Uh, surely that will never happen. There's no precedent for the, uh, for the container <laughs> sectors to shoot, shoot themselves in the foot on an annual basis. Uh, of course not. No. 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 Okay. Good, good. Um, Anastasios, you've barely been doing anything this year. We finally heard a peep from you. What's uh, What have you been up to? <laughs> right. Uh, well, I think from, from my uh, perspective, the big story, if you like, if we collect it into one this year, has been the industry sort of taking... Uh, he to the IMO strategy to decarbonize or at least slash emissions by at least half by 2050 and starting to to collectively at least take some form of action. You know, we've seen throughout the past 12 months a, a number of initiatives that are all along the same theme, which is we need you know, collaboration and some sort of 
body and structure to help us actually navigate through this together, which for anyone who's been in this industry, you know, is something that people often complain does not often happen. Mm -hmm. So I think that's been a really big deal this year is basically decarbonization graduating from just, you know, simple policy talk to actual industry action. Now, a lot of people, maybe some more cynical people would say all of this is just pledges and promises at this point. But I think when we look back, um, if if action is indeed taken, you know, when we look back and say, when was it that people really started to take this seriously? I think it was this year. Mm. And, you know, the latest, obviously we've had the Poseidon principles uh, that could, that again, could be the operative word, really uh, affect the way shipping finance moves forward. We've had the Getting to Zero Coalition that could help us get the zero emission vessels by 2030. And just a few days ago, we've had this really high-profile industry proposal for a $2 fuel levy, $2 per ton fuel levy to help finance R&D for carbon. Now, these are all, of course, you know, still ideas and suggestions. And it's still remains to be seen if anything comes out of them. But I think that has really been the theme of the the subjects that I've been following this year. And, you know, as far as, as 2020 is concerned, I think it, it's twofold. The, the one thing is something that James and Michelle obviously already mentioned, which is the implementation of 2020. I think, you know, decarbonization has sort of elevated in the agenda and the priority list. But I think it's really important to remember that the sulfur cap is is not a by any means a safe done deal in terms of implementation. We have to see how that goes. Uh, there are definitely lessons that are going to be learned, and you know, a few people openly and more people behind closed doors still have some concerns about that in terms of safety compatibility. So that's the one thing we're going to have to be very careful to follow that and see uh, see how that goes. The second thing I think for me is that the industry needs to prepare itself for the fact that some kind of decarbonization measure is coming in 2020, probably. It's going to be agreed, at least. Uh, The question is going to be if that's going to be from the IMO, which is looking at more short-term measures, if it's going to be from the EU, which has been with the Commission and the Parliament very vocal about uh, introducing a market-based measure, basically, by including shipping in its regional emissions uh, system, or if it's going to be from both and what that would mean. So I think we're going to actually see some regulatory, real regulatory action in 2020 when it comes to emissions. And it'll be interesting to see how that affects all the other things I alluded to before, uh, you know, all the, these other initiatives and movements and proposals and how those interact. Good, good. As you say, I think it, it has been a watershed year in terms of some of the industry thinking. I think the acid test is going to be next year, whether or that, mm-hmm. that does turn into action rather than a slightly more um, vocal version of greenwash that we've seen before. Yeah, yeah so exactly. We'll see, we'll see. Um, Richard, I've left you to last because uh, I know what you're going to talk about and I think it's probably the most important aspect. I'm not sure it's the most important, but my letter, if we're going down the letter, uh, root is P, um, for people. Um, because we can talk about markets, we can talk about uh, decarbonization, disruption, automation, but the real driver of change in our industry is is people. Uh, so this has been my focus over the over the past year, um, and particularly a, a kind of clash of ideas between leadership and management. 
Um, and I think this industry is uh, suffering a little in, uh, in lacking real leadership. We saw leaders gathering together at the Global Maritime Forum and for the first time you can sense that this is a driver of real change and this is people coming together to talk about these big, big issues. Um, so ideas like changing attitudes, changing mindset from what it used to be, you know, business as usual, to what it has to be in the future, changing our industry to, to be something much more connected uh, with the environment, I think is absolutely critical going forward into 2021. Um, I was I was looking at one of Steve Jobs' quotes uh, earlier. He said, "Technology is nothing. What's important is that you have faith in people. They're basically good and smart, and if you give them the tools, they do wonderful things with them." Uh, and I think this speaks to our industry. It's about having faith in people, developing skills, and putting the skills where they need to go. So for me, 2020 and onwards will be about people. Well said, well said. Although I have to say I am disappointed that four journalists have come down on four letters and not managed to spell out a rude word. I mean, you're not oh, even trying, guys. But I've got something. <laughs> Go on, <then. laughs> Well, I was about to, to say, I was thinking about who's been naughty and who's been nice for 2019. Go on, then. Who's on your naughty things. list? Well, I'd have to say the shipping minister of Greece, who stood up the, at, at mm. the IMO a couple of weeks ago and begged. You're looking at Annas like he's responsible for the shipping <laughs> minister of Greece. Honestly, it's, but, it's not his fault. But I mean, it was absolutely outrageous that the mm. shipping minister of Greece stood up at the IMO and basically said, Please, we need time to, to, can we please delay the implementation of IMO 2020? I mean, outrageously playing to his domestic constituency and just so inappropriate. So he's on, he was to, naughty. To be fair, not the first time a Greek has pushed a deadline, though, is it? Uh, <laughs> now, now. now, now. <laughs> on the nice list, on the nice list, I was going to put Eric Hinnell, the chief executive of Stenobog, because he had a intense and crash course in international diplomacy and pass when he help secure the release of the Stena Impero, which was taken by the Iranian Revolutionary Guards. Now, that would have to be your worst crisis, you know, for any ship owner, really, yeah. that you can plan for. And the fact that he got the crew out, I think, within about six to eight weeks, mm. I mean, in such extreme geopolitical no, tension, I, I think he I think you and I both spoke to yeah. him at various points yeah. during that. And, you know, there is a man with a lot on his shoulders, but still fundamentally trying to be decent and honest and trying to uh, yeah. get everybody yeah, to do yeah. the right thing. So, yeah, yeah, no, a round of applause for Eric, I think. Um, I think I'm right in saying also that Eric Hanel is going to be a speaker at the executive uh, meeting in Gothenburg oh, that yes, uh, is run by uh, Lloyd's List uh, Intelligence. So fine, Chris fine plugging there, Richard. Yes, excellent. Uh, I believe you're going to be speaking there as well, Michelle. Yes, I'll be speaking on the, the sanctions and sulfur and all, all the S's that will be affecting the tanker markets and, and more into 2020. Excellent. Well, I would get in lots of plugs for the various other events that are going to be happening in 2020, but I fear that everybody is probably going to have forgotten them by the time they come back in January. So <laughs> rest assured that the Lloyd's List podcast will return after a short festive break with a full rundown of all of the insights we will be offering you for 2020 and various things we need you to sign up to. Uh, but for now, uh, from London, uh, wishing you all a very... Merry Christmas and a prosperous New Year, but uh, we are heading uh, for the Loiseless Christmas drinks and um, we will be back in January 2020. Thank you very much. Thank you. Goodbye. Cheers.